Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. Chapter 14, Snape's Grudge. No one in Gryffindor Tower slept that night. They knew that the castle was being searched again, and the whole house stayed awake in the common room, waiting to hear whether Black had been caught. Professor McGonagall came back at dawn to tell them that he had again escaped. I'm Matt Potts. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Casper Tech-Kyle. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Casper, welcome back. Thank you so much. I miss you guys. Before we get started, do you want to tell everybody about your new project, The Nearness? Yes, I'm so excited about this. And it's very much inspired by the things we've learned together from our incredible Harry Potter and the Sacred Text community. And you can sign up to learn more about it at thenearness.coop. And it's a digital cooperative to help each other deepen our spiritual lives. We're still working on it. We're running a pilot this spring. Some of you are involved. We'll launch publicly over the summer, but I wanted you to be the first to hear about it. So please check it out. I'm so excited to share more about it in the months to come. And thank you, Vanessa, for all your support. I really appreciate it. Well, I am very excited to watch this launch and see everything that you do. And I'm really excited to see members of our community going on this journey with you. Thanks. And for those of you who follow us on Patreon in today's Every Flavored Bean conversation, we are going to be talking about what your Marauder's Map would show. Would it show Hogwarts or would it show another location? And if so, what and why? 
And there are going to be extra funny bloopers this week, too, because Casper's here. And, you know, he's a hot mess. So it's it's extra fun. <laughs> and, of course, if you don't support us on Patreon, you are going to get all the goodies of an episode. So we're just glad you're here. But, Casper, you do not just have an announcement for us today. You also have a story on the theme of wisdom. It's true. And a word like wisdom, I always find slightly intimidating, right? It suggests some kind of old sage in a distant mountain, someone who's read every book on their shelf, unlike me, where I've read like maybe 20% if I'm lucky, and, you know, just exudes this kind of wherewithal in any situation. And I want to reposition wisdom a little bit because I think my previous six years of marriage have helped me become wiser. And I want to tell you how. So I grew up in a household where there weren't a lot of um, fights at all. I was very lucky to, to grow up in a loving home. But of course, every relationship and certainly every family has disagreements. But I didn't like see a lot of that as a kid. And so as Sean and I, you know, moved in together and our relationship deepened, I found it a little confusing when he didn't do what I thought he would do, or he disagreed with how I thought things should go. And uh, I didn't quite know what to do with that. How dare <laughs> so, he? <laughs> <laughs> and in particular, it wasn't even so much the disagreements, but it was the way in which he disagreed that I found completely discombobulating. I'm an external processor, as you know. So like, if something comes up, I want to talk about it, like straight away. And not just because I know what I want to say, but... I find out what I want by talking about it, right? Like I have to try out some answers out loud before I know exactly which one I actually think. And Sean was like the exact opposite. When we had a disagreement, he would go very quiet. So quiet. <laughs> quiet for days. So quiet it <laughs> drove me Please. absolutely insane. <laughs> so this was the <laughs> a real learning process was like figuring out that he needed a couple of days to arrive at exactly the right thing because he's an internal processor. And I needed a couple of conversations <clears throat> and only a few hours to figure out what I meant uh, by talking about it out loud. And so I had to change how we navigated conflict in my mind. And so now over these last, you know, years that we've been together, I know that if there is a disagreement, to have a first conversation, give it a couple days for me to talk to a friend who I trust completely, and then raise the issue again in a couple days later when we've both had time to process and figure out what we think and then get to a place of agreement, which I have to say I'm really grateful for nearly always works. And I think we've learned how to be wise in navigating difference in our relationship. And what I want to offer for how I think about wisdom is that it's about experience and insight. Experience in the sense that I've had to do it again and again and again, but we're not repeating the same mistakes all the time. We're learning how to do it better, learning how to do it differently. And so that's where the insight comes in. And so rather than thinking about wisdom as this very far off, impossible to achieve thing, I think it's about learning to reflect on the experiences that we've had, to spot patterns, to find different solutions, and to be, I mean, sadly, flexible in how we do things <laughs> and not just assume that my way is always the best way. So that's that's my offering on wisdom today. Casper, that, that's such a great story because it points directly to the etymology of the word wisdom. <gasps> if I may what? take etymology us on a brief journey corner. to etymology corner. So wisdom comes from two Germanic words. The whiz comes from the same word as wit. It means to know. 
the dumb part comes from the the Germanic word a root, which means judgment. It's the same word from which we get doom, <laughs> right? So you can think about wisdom as as not just knowledge, but knowledge which is applied towards some kind of a judgment, right? So we think about your relationship with Sean, right? You came to know, you came to some knowledge, but that knowing that is different than applying it and actually saying, okay, now how is this going to bear out? in the actual work of repairing, right? Hmm. That means you taking some time talking to a friend. That means giving Sean some space, right? And so I think that's exactly what you're kind of pointing towards in your own Casper etymology of experience and insight, right? Like these are the two parts of wisdom for you. I think they're pointing to the same thing. And I think it's a it's a very, a very wise definition. Well, let's apply some of this wisdom to the chapter. Casper, do you remember how to do a 30 second recap? Of course you do. I love 30-second recaps. I mean, I feel like it's a way I get to process out loud what happens in the story. So, you know, it's a perfect fit. Such a good point. It's my kid's favorite part of the podcast. So, <laughs> we're going to continue. Okay, Casper, I'm going to count you in. Three, two, one, go. Okay, so for the first time in his life, Ron is the center of attention. He's absolutely loving it. Hermione's still very upset, and the, the, you know, the, the chaos continues. Um, they get an opportunity to go to Hogsmeade, and Harry's like, I'm definitely going to go. And so he uses the invisibility cloak, goes out, splatters um, Malfoy with uh, mud, but then he sees his head. Oh, God, run, 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 back, back, back. Um, Snape is like, I know you were gone. And then Lupin's like, ha I know what this is. It's a map. And Harry's favorite moment of the whole day was getting to see baby little mini owls that do local deliveries. Uh, maybe that was my favorite part. That was really excellent. Wow. I picked it up there. Have yeah. you been practicing? I don't know, Vanessa. I think it's, uh, you know, I really took a rest. I let the injuries recover after the last four uh-huh. seasons of losing. <laughs> and now I'm back. Okay, Matt, now that Casper's reminded you of everything that happens in the chapter, are you ready? What chapter is this again? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not, but I am enthusiastic. Wonderful. On your mark, get set, go. So everyone's terrified and they're taking all these precautions, which are a little bit sort of horses out of the barn precautions. And then they and then Ron is very popular. And then they um, they go to Hagrid's hut and Hagrid's like, stop being mean to Hermione. And so and Harry kind of sees something, but Ron does not see it. And then uh, and then, uh, oh, they, he gets his invisibility cloak and they go to Hogsmeade and he goes to Honeydukes and they gets into a fight with Crab and Goyle and and uh, the other guy. And then they come back and you're caught by <laughs> Snape and Snape says, turn out your pockets. And Lupin comes in and Ron comes in and saves them. And Lupin's like, you shouldn't have done this. This act Fights was too great. <laughs> the other guy. The other guy. I couldn't remember Malfoy's name in the heat uh, of the moment. But I missed the one thing I wanted to get to at the very end, which will be which I wish I have left for Vanessa, because I know Vanessa would describe this moment much more beautifully than I could. It's yeah. true. Right. <laughs> Casper, you so rarely get to count Vanessa in. Would you like to count Vanessa in oh, this week? I that nothing makes me happier. Could you do it in Dutch? That would be great. I could. <laughs> Do it. All right, 30 seconds on the clock. Here we go. Three, two, aim, go. So I'm going to just tell this from the perspective of Hermione. She is completely isolated. She's watching Ron be the center of attention, even though he was just killed, almost killed. And that is very upsetting. She's watching Neville um, not being given the passwords. She's watching the thing that traumatized her, the trolls, be the thing that she has to walk past in order to get into her own common room every day. She's going down and visiting Hagrid and complaining about the fact that the boys are mean to her. And then at the end of the chapter, she goes up to the boys and is like, I just thought you should know that Buckbeak is going to be killed. Yeah. That was She's the moment. having a hard time. That was the moment at the end, yeah. 
So I made a glib comment about this in my 30-second recap, but I actually do think that we should start with the trolls and just like the new security measures in general at Hogwarts. The chapter actually starts right with the, the castle being checked one last time and the Gryffindors are up all night and they still have to go to class the next day. I think that these children should probably get some sleep. I have a lot of concerns. But in book one, if you all remember, when a troll comes into the castle, it is an invasion and violent and scary. And now trolls are being invited into the castle to be part of the protection of the castle. And this just reminds me of the way that I felt in the wake of 9-11 as I was watching, you know, the United States become more and more militarized. It felt like our response to that violence was another kind of violence, right? Suddenly there were guns everywhere and there were there was National Guard everywhere, and it felt like we were living in a militarized state, which felt like just an additional trauma on top of a trauma. And that's what I see Hogwarts doing here. Yeah, Vanessa, I think that's right. I mean, you know, this etymology that I've trotted out in response to Casper's story, I think it indicates that wisdom has two parts. It's both knowledge and the application of knowledge, which means that wisdom can fail in either part, right? So if you have bad knowledge, mm-hmm. Right. You will do an unwise thing. Hogwarts thinks that Sirius Black is a dangerous serial murderer. And therefore, that's bad knowledge. And they are taking unwise precautions against this person who is actually not a threat. But there's also potentially the error on the other side, which is even if their knowledge were correct, that Sirius Black were dangerous. Like, are these the right precautions to be taking? Right. Does it make sense for Filch to be filling in cracks in the walls. Is this how, is this how Sirius Black Famously, that keeps things out. Yeah. Right. <laughs> is it right for Flitwick to be teaching the doors to recognize Sirius's face? No, because he can turn into a dog and that wouldn't help, right? So even if their knowledge were correct, the application of it is wrong in this case. And the, the example of the trolls is especially sort of galling because of the fact that trolls have caused violence in the school before because... A person in the Gryffindor common room, as you know, Hermione Granger was attacked by a troll. It just seems like this is a particularly unwise thing to do in this instance. So, you know, whichever way you slice it, which whichever part of wisdom, either the knowledge or the application of the knowledge we want to pay attention to, a lot of these measures seem like they're falling short. And as you note, Vanessa, I think, especially when it comes to security concerns, I think we see this arising in our own lives. They're either based on bad knowledge or based on wrong application of good knowledge. Well, I do want to stand up for trolls in this kind of anti-troll smear campaign. You know, (laughs) one bad troll does not all trolls make bad. But we'll leave that to one side for a moment. What I do think is really interesting is that it's kind of a foreshadowing of the same decision-making, which I agree with you is flawed, around the Dementors, right? Like, Dementors Mm. are later brought into the school in the same kind of security narrative, which also proves to be flawed. But, you know, I think the thing that's most interesting about the kind of militarization of the school is that this has always been true with Hogwarts. And I think the way that we start the Harry Potter stories is as this kind of innocent 11-year-old vision of an institution that has always had deeply flawed, kind of violent structures in place. And maybe it's less that they're being introduced and more that we as readers are starting to see them more clearly at this point in the book. For example, you know, this kind of post-Voldemort period that everyone thinks they've been in is not the norm. It's an aberration. And I think maybe, especially for our generation, you know, people who are Gen Z or millennials, like, 
we were raised at least at the beginning of our lives with this story that there was a sort of kind of equilibrium or like a globalization that was stable, if not peaceful. And just that has not proven to be true, right? Whether it's the effects of climate change or now again, the, the kind of resurgence of a conflict with Russia, there's just so much that makes that kind of moment of peace or the illusion of peace look naive rather than wise. Yeah. Castro, I think that's exactly right. I'm, I'm, I'm slightly older than millennial or Gen Z, but as a Gen Xer, what's really interesting about this, I think, Casper, is that, I mean, you can see here how, what this book is written in the late 90s, right? How there is a sort of prescience to mm. the kind of anxiety over security that mm. Rowling is recognizing in the late 90s, or at least that the novels are recognizing, right? And, you know, I know the other books are published later after 9-11 and so forth. And so it gets more complicated. But you can see early on in this book, you can see the text saying, when we face threat, we overreact and make two kinds of mistakes. We perceive the wrong threat and we apply our knowledge wrongly. Huh. We are unwise, right? And then just a couple of years after this book is published, we start doing that in the West. We perceive the wrong threat. And we start applying the bad knowledge that we have wrongly. I mean, you know, you could talk about the war in Iraq very concretely in this sense. Wrong threat applied wrongly. And then the forthcoming novels, as you know, Casper, like this pattern continues, not just in this novel, but in book five and, and further on, like as security increases, they get more and more oblivious to the actual threat that they are facing and make problems worse by making the school a more dangerous place, like becoming a threat themselves rather than addressing the actual threat that's out there. So yeah, I, there, that that arc is already going in the book and it continues. And the way that the narrative in this series predates world events, but then develops in the wake of world events is really interesting. I just think that Hogwarts often forgets that it's a school first. Mm. And that is what frustrates me, right? The wise response to Neville should be, if we're going to accurately diagnose a situation, it is that the password system does not work for Neville. Neville mm -hmm. cannot remember the password safely. And that is the problem, right? That is a structural problem with the school. That is not a problem with Neville. And if our responsibility is to educate, that is the thing that we have to fix. And again and again, they just seem to forget that about the kids. And that seems apt for the public education system in the United States. And I would imagine, obviously, in England as well, mm. that Schools become about so many other things other than actually educating children. I mean, we definitely see that in Florida right now, right? We don't care yep. about education. We care about political goals. And it, it's just really frustrating to see a character who we admire so much like McGonagall saying to Neville, you have to hang out with the trolls in the hallway. We, we will not give you a way to get into the store by yourself. It's a kind of prison. He has to really think twice yeah. before he leaves because he doesn't know how he's going to be able to get back in. This is awful. Hmm. Well, it, it makes me ask the question, which came up for me all the time as I was reading the chapter, what's the difference between intelligence and wisdom? Like Ron is an interesting example. Early in the chapter, he's like, why did he scarper when he's talking about Crookshanks? Um, and that's more like intelligence, right? He's like deductively reasoning. And then at the end of the chapter, he's he's essentially apologizing for encouraging Harry to go to Hogsmeade because he realizes it was stupid. And so is that an example of like deductive reasoning plus insight or like plus experience? Like what's the difference between intelligence and wisdom? I think 
that obviously Matt's definition I find so, so helpful. But the other thing that I was thinking about, Casper, <laughs> same thing as you, is I think that the, there's a huge difference with perspective, mm. right? Because little kids can be very wise even without all the information, right? Mm. They can be like, you know, Matt's told the story about Danny, right? Like we as adults understand that homelessness is complicated and Danny as a small child is like, it's actually not complicated. This is a human and we have more money than they do. And so like, let's give them money, right? Mm. And And then I think that often we think of older people also as wise because it's like, God, I regret obsessing about my weight or, you know, money or whatever it is. And what Ron has had happen is his perspective has been shifted. He was totally in the moment. And so he was driven by this logic, uh, right, of like, oh, it's not actually a high risk. And if he brings his invisibility cloak and, right, like, do, 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 calculating. And now with some perspective, he's like, why would it matter that we go to Hogsmeade when Harry's life is at risk? Yeah. And so I think that often if we're in the middle of a tough decision, Sometimes like taking that 30,000 foot view is so helpful because yeah. I think, I don't think perspective is wisdom, but I do think perspective can often help us get to this definition of wisdom that Matt offered us. Mm. I think that's right, Vanessa. Yeah, because yeah, that, that I think that, that perspective is what helps us apply the knowledge we have well. I mean, you can actually see this shift happening in Lupin in the chapter, right? I mean, those of us who have read the novel before know that Lupin is Padfoot, right? And at the end of the chapter, when asked if he knows the makers of the Marauder's Map, he acknowledges that he knew them. He talks about them in the third person. You know, he kind of disavows his own his own identity as one of them. And he says that these map makers would have wanted to lure you out of the school. They'd think it extremely entertaining, right? He's setting himself against his own, his past self because he's gained the perspective of time and wisdom, right? <laughs> he's gained some wisdom. Uh, and so that shift in perspective is absolutely right. And it, it also goes on with, with Ron, as you're both saying as well. I love that, Matt. And also that like his wisdom is about not using a technology that is available, right? Like yep. it's about saying like, oh, the map is here, but I'm going to choose not to use it. And I think that's something about wisdom that I'm learning more and more is it's not about often doing more or better, but it's about knowing what to not do that yeah. often makes someone wise, I think. Yeah. And Matt, I think that we see this exact thing that you're talking about with Hagrid, right? Ron and Harry are sort of in it with Hermione, right? And because they're so close to the situation, Ron cannot see that he's making Hermione lonely over a rat who he had mixed feelings about from the beginning. <laughs> Harry cannot see that Hermione's threatening to turn him in over the Marauder's Map is actually out of love. And Hagrid has just this great moment of offering perspective. So Hagrid sends a note to Harry and Ron and is like, hey, come visit me. Do not come visit me after dark. You're not allowed to, and it's dangerous. And so the boys go down and they actually display, Matt, your definition of wisdom. They have the right information and do the right thing with it. They say no to, uh, to Hagrid's cooking. They're like, now we know that this is bad. And so we're not going to eat it. Um, brilliant wisdom. But then Hagrid, I think, has this very wise conversation with the boys where he, by being physically outside of the castle, by being older, by, 
you know, virtue of any number of things by actually talking to Hermione rather than just judging her, but just by having this perspective is able to see that Ron and Harry are responding unkindly to Hermione. And part of his outsideness and perspective is also that he spends his life thinking about animals, right? So he says, like, Crookshanks did what cats do, even if Crookshanks ate scabbers. That's what cats do. They eat rats. And also, your friendship should mean more than a rat, right? And so this outside perspective is wise because it's able to reframe the information that Ron and Harry have. Ron and Harry have a version of the correct information, right? Like they are operating under a reasonable point of view, which is that Crookshanks killed scabbers, but they're not reacting to it correctly. And that is what Hagrid is able to show them. Yeah. And I love that it's in part Hagrid's own experience of being being an outsider or being made an outsider that makes him especially sensitive perhaps to this experience for Hermione. Like that, that personal experience gives him that perspective, which I think is is smart. And I love, I lit- he literally says, I thought you valued your fr- your friend more than a broomstick and rats. Like, it's just, mm-hmm. he makes it so plain, you know? It's yeah. like, what's really important here? Yeah. I think that's right. I'm going to press back just a little bit. And I'm I'm going to bless Hagrid today because I think this exchange is, mm. is lovely. And I love what Hagrid does here. And so I'm only pressing back ever so slightly. <laughs> but the line that he gives, which is a beautiful line, ah, well, people can be a bit stupid about their pets, said Hagrid yeah. wisely. It uses a word. It, it says, I mean, yeah. the text uses the word wisely. It says Hagrid is wise in this moment. I think it is wise in this moment. I think that's right. But it also applies to Ron. Ron's pet was killed, right? And so, so I think that there might be some, another wisdom, another benefit of his perspective might be to understand that that Ron really believes that his beloved pet was murdered and he is acting a bit stupid. And in Hagrid's defense, I think this is a fairly gentle reproach. This reprimand is not harsh or mean-spirited or cruel in any way. And that's why I want to bless him for it. And it's probably that understanding that he knows Ron is acting a bit stupid about his pet that allows him to be so gently reproachful. But I think for us as readers, we can see that line pointing in two directions, not just at Hermione, but also at Ron and Hagrid trying to negotiate the space between them so they can restore and repair their friendship. And it's self-deprecating, right? He's like, I'm often quite stupid about my pets. Remember when you had to engage in international crimes to help me export a dragon in the you know dark of night? Yeah, <laughs> and we're right. not done yet. Yeah. <laughs> right, that's right. <laughs> One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Well, this is helping me really understand Snape, not just in this chapter, but throughout the book better, because Snape is smart, but he's not wise. Hmm. Right? Like, he's never able to get out of his own experience and see the bigger picture. That nastiness towards Harry and to Neville, that that kind of obsessive quality about Lily. He's clearly a deeply gifted wizard. But I wonder if this is one of the reasons Dumbledore never wants him to, to have more responsibility or, frankly, doesn't want to let him maybe outside of Hogwarts, even in significant ways, because he doesn't trust that Snape has wisdom. And based on this chapter, I think he's right. Oh my gosh, I think I am I am coming to a new definition of wisdom through this conversation, Ooh. through your story, Casper, and through everything we've been saying, because all the examples we're giving of folks who apply their knowledge well or wisely or judiciously, you know, to recall my etymology, it has to do with empathy. So it's not yeah. just knowledge, it's knowledge plus empathy. It's being able mm. to imagine the other's positions, being able to to put yourself in the other's place in an in an open and non-obtrusive or non-consuming way to like see, oh, this is what Hermione might be feeling, boys. Or or even even for Lupin at the end of the chapter to grow into a different version of himself, to see how selfish she was as a as a child. Maybe that that second half of the knowledge, what needs to be applied to knowledge. And what we're saying when we talk about things like experience or perspective, that shift in perspective is perspective beyond oneself right, towards a greater world or the needs of a greater world. That's what Ron gains too, I think, right? Like when he realizes the kind of danger he, he subjected Harry to, yeah. So we are now going to do Havruta and I am really excited. We have not talked much about Hermione in this chapter yet. And there's a moment where just my heart broke for her. And that is when she goes up to the boys and is like, do not go to Hogsmeade, Harry. I'll tell. Right? Like, this is so dangerous. I will tell. And my question is, was this a wise or strategic decision? It doesn't seem as though she does tell. And maybe it's she doesn't know that he went, you know, the boys intentionally try to trick her, etc. But I am wondering if given the position that she's in, that is actually the best thing for Harry's safety. Because I think that Hermione should have learned that that doesn't control what the boys are going to do. Right? It's not going to stop them from going, this threat. And it's also going to further isolate their relationship. 
and she is so isolated and she can do more good for them (laughs) if she is in their lives than if she is continuously ostracized. But I'm still going to come down and offer my answer that I think it is the right thing to do. That I think what Hermione is doing is showing a loyalty and a care that matters more than any sort of coolness, right? It is like a protest. It is like, I know this won't stop you, but I am going to keep telling until you take your life as seriously as I take mine. And I'm wondering your thoughts on that, because I really think that this is a tough decision that she has made. But my instinct is to respect it as a deeply wise and compassionate and kind of strategic decision, although it's complicated. (laughs) It's a great hybrid question because I'm really torn between the answers. I can see the virtue in both. Right. And so, although I partly agree with you, I think for the sake of this conversation, I'll turn the other way and say, I think maybe for the reasons you said, Hermione maybe ought not to have levied this threat. I mean, she's already at odds with the boys for, for good or ill. And aligning herself with the administration of the school, which is not one the boys necessarily trust apart from Dumbledore. They think of McGonagall as overly strict. They think of Snape as overly cruel. It will just further increase the divide between the boys and her. And maybe what she needs to do is try to, I don't know, it's it's so hard. I can't even make this case, which is, I think you're right. But it's somehow what she needs is to, at least with Harry, maybe it's not impossible for Ron at this moment, but with Harry is to try to bring him back to himself, remind him that that his life is worth saving. I mean, to me, one of the most powerful lines in the chapter is when Lupin says to Harry, your parents gave their lives to keep you alive, Harry. A poor way to repay them, gambling their sacrifice for a bag of magic tricks. I mean, he really puts the stakes of this trip to Hogsmeade into the proper relief of like what is at risk. And I think when Hermione threatens to tell, she keeps it at the scale of like, this is a trivial like school a schoolboy violation instead of reminding him really of the stakes. So so I guess, I mean, I'm, I'm having trouble convincing myself, Vanessa, but, but I think that that's the other side, or maybe, you know, she threatens to go to Lupin in particular. I think that if she had said to Harry, not, I'm just going to tell in general, tell McGonagall or tell the administration, but had said in particular Lupin, that might've been the thing which would shake loose sort of the mischievousness of the boys reminded Harry of of what particularly was at stake in this case. That's exactly where I was going to go, Matt, which is I think that her instinct of knowing that she can't convince them is correct, right? Like, that's true. And I think her instinct to engage not just an authority structure in terms of the school, but some outside force that has more power than she does is also correct. I think where maybe strategically she falls short is thinking about who is that person. Yeah. And and your point about Lupin being the one who would be listenable to, <laughs> you know, for yeah. Harry, I think that's the crucial piece that's missing for her. And I love the way that you developed our definition of wisdom here is that she doesn't have that empathy piece of, oh, who would Harry listen to, right? Where she goes is who has the power to stop him? And that is good enough. And I mean, it makes sense, right? These are children. <laughs> like, I don't, yeah. don't want to blame her for it. But I, I think you landed in exactly the right place to think about who who has the authority in Harry's eyes in particular to interrupt this behavior. And Lupin is the one. Yeah. But this has me wondering, just is about the general Hogwarts response to the threat of Sirius Black. 
and the necessity of these Hogsmeade trips in general, right? Mm. So I guess the way I would formulate this as a question is, it's a leading question, which is, is the general Hogwarts policy on Hogsmeade trips misguided in the same way that we are thinking maybe Hermione is misguided, right? That it seems like what they are making the stakes about is whether we catch Sirius Black or not, right? Instead of making it about sort of the threat to our children and to this particular child, right? What would be the safest thing? They're kind of putting the cart before the horse in trying to to say that catching Sirius Black is going to solve the problem of this lack of safety rather than focusing on the lack of safety because we know that what they end up doing is making everybody in the school less safe by bringing dementors in and bringing security trolls in for the sake of a safety that even his capture, we learn later, is not actually going to be the thing that, that provides more safety. So that's my roundabout question and answer. <laughs> what do the two of you think? It's interesting because I think in this moment in the book when Sirius is out there and everyone thinks he's this terrifying murderer, I'm with you. But I also think that Safety as a number one goal also isn't necessarily the best thing. Yeah. Like, you know, I think one of the things that's necessary, certainly as the children grow older, is that exposure to risk is part of the educational experience. And I guess, again, I want to set the perceived murderer aside (laughs) and instead think about, like, access to the outdoors, right? Like, there was a lake on the property of the school that I went to as a young kid that you were not supposed to swim in. And one of the kids did drunkenly late at night and very sadly died. And they built like an entire kind of fence around it and all sorts of other stuff. And part of me wonders, like, is that the right solution? I I, I, yeah. I hate to go there, but there there is something yeah. I think about a culture that puts me at ill ease where the response to risk is to close access. And I think one of the things that that does is actually train us to be less skillful at navigating risk. And so in general, the idea of trips to Hogsmeade, I think is a really important idea. Frankly, there should probably be be more. I mean, even something like the Forbidden Forest, if the children were educated how to navigate even those first few meters of the forest, rather than this boundary of like, you will not go here. I just think we're missing out on, on navigating danger in a way that is so important. Uh, yeah, that's that's really wise, Casper. I think that's right. I'm, uh, it helps me put a finer point on, on what I'm trying to understand for my question, which is the problem here, it seems to me, is that the, the story they seem to be telling to the whole school is the only risk is serious Black. And as long as we catch yeah. him, there will be no more risks, right? Instead of just trying to cultivate, maybe not a culture of safety or risk aversion, but a culture of like, accurately and wisely and judiciously assessing risk because that's what ron and harry are doing wrong here right correct like that they're not wisely assessing the risk of going to to hogsmeade oh i mean maybe they are since their knowledge is wrong whatever but you know what i mean like that that they're not that's that's the problem in this scenario so yeah i think that i think your response really helps me put a finer point on what i see is maybe the problem in in the school's response yeah i think that These things are so hard to balance. And I think what I really like about where this conversation ended is that we ended up talking about pedagogy, right? Which Mm. is the right conversation to be having at the school of like, 
you know, on field trips, how much free time do we give the kids to like walk around New York City while we're here versus like, oh, we don't want them to get lost. And right, like these are actual pedagogical questions. And Casper, I think that, as you said, like that putting murderers aside part <laughs> is like an important part of that, right? Like, but I just read this great book by Amiya Srinivasan, where she makes the point that, you know, the problem with student-teacher romantic relationships on the collegiate level isn't only a consent and power question, but it also means that the primary purpose of the professor is no longer educating the student, right? And that that is always should be the primary relationship is that it should be educating the student first. And as soon as you're engaged in a romantic relationship, that's no longer going to be something that you can sort of purely engage in. And I think that that's exactly the problem that we see at Hogwarts again and again. And I just, I do love that when we strip it all away, it can become questions about like, what are the right lessons to teach these kids? Because we're not going to treat this place like a bank or a fortress or a battlefield or a place of politics, a refuge to hide spies, right? Like all of the things that we know that Hogwarts is. And I just wish it was a school for second and third. So this decision didn't have to come down to Hermione. That's like poor kid. She's got enough to deal with. I know she's taking every class. <laughs> well, thank you both for this really wonderful Haruta. Thank you. Thank you, Vanessa. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason, you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Now we have a voice memo from Maddie. 
Hi Vanessa and Casper, my name's Maddie, I'm 12 and I am voicemailing you all the way from New Zealand. So I only started your podcast quite recently, so I'm only up to episode one of chapter, no, episode one of season two, which is the worst birthday through the theme of disappointment. And I just listened to it and I was thinking about all the things you'd said about disappointment But you also mentioned hope and the fact that Harry had been hopeful at a point. The point specifically was when Vernon had been saying that there was a big deal going on that day and Harry just had that little glimmer of hope that they meant his birthday, but obviously they didn't because they usually let Harry down. So I continued thinking about how hope and determination are were both mentioned in this in that episode and my younger sister came walking into the room and started up the most random conversation um something about bikes I think and I was kind of annoyed but she did it three or four times which disappointed me because she knew that I was listening to my podcast your podcast and she knew that I wanted to listen to it and think about what you guys were saying so that made me feel disappointed, but it also made me think about how we can hope that people will look past disappointment and that we can look past our disappointment to see the good intentions people have that are hidden by our disappointment. And that really got me thinking. And another thing that I was thinking about was how we can hope and hope and hope things, but there is the chance we will be disappointed. And I thought that really connected with what you'd been saying previously, Vanessa, that hope should be used as a last resort. Like, you've done everything you can, so you hope. And I thought that that fitted in as well. So my question for you is, what do you think about looking past disappointment and seeing if there is good intentions behind it? Well, that's all. I love your podcast. It is amazing. And I can't wait to listen to all your other episodes. And I hope you continue. Well, that's all I've got to say. Bye. Maddie, thank you so much for that voicemail. I cannot believe that your younger sister interrupted you while you were listening to your podcast. And I'm completely comfortable with you calling this podcast your podcast. I think that that's right. We are yours. I obviously agree with you because you're agreeing with past me that hope is complicated. But I think that hope in the face of disappointment is exactly when we need hope. Because I think, right, the way that I've come over the last few years to think about hope is just the deep belief that people can change and that circumstances can change. And not that they will change, but that they can. And holding space for that, to me, is what hope is. And so I, I love that you are really pulling these two things together, hope in the face of disappointment. And so I hope that your sister stops interrupting you while you're listening to your podcast. Thanks for listening, Maddie. Yeah, thank you, Maddie. I think you're you're right. I think times of disappointment, those are exactly the moments when we most need hope. I think the danger of hope, and you heard us talk about this, is when hope becomes delusional. But I think delusion isn't disappointed because it misunderstands what's happening and refuses disappointment. So I think, you know, there's a lot of wisdom in your in your voice memo, wisdom in listening to Vanessa, and also wisdom <laughs> in seeing hope as, as arising with disappointment, not, not in spite of it.
it's time for us to remember the loved ones of people in our community who have passed away. And so this week, we honor Rosa, who was 84, a fun and funky grandmother and deeply loved. Gerd Peter, who was 85, a grandfather, train enthusiast, and secret agent. Jerry Caples, who was 85, a humble oral surgeon and loving father and grandfather. Laurie Lambright, who was 55, a mother, grandmother, and a Peanuts comic lover. Mike Hernandez, who was 38, the coolest big boy cousin, brother, husband, best friend, and a proud Slytherin. Bob Pollard, who was 72, a husband, dad, papa, and model human. Jamie, who was 15, sweet, fun, and just a little bit boy crazy. Jerry Benfer, who was 79, a grandfather and always made everyone laugh. And Marcia Weiner, who was 86, a brilliant and loving therapist. May their memories be a blessing. And speaking of blessings, we each get to bless someone in the chapter this week. Vanessa, who do you want to bless? I want to bless Hermione for at the end of the chapter going up and telling the boys about Buckbeak. Mm. I think they are now in three different fights. They have not forgiven each other about the broomstick totally. The scabbers, you know, Crookshank's debacle has not been resolved. And now she's threatened to tell on them for going to Hogsmeade. Like this is, they are in the middle of a complicated friendship moment. And she is so wise and has so much perspective and is like, none of that matters right now. Our friend Hagrid is in trouble and there's an injustice happening against Buckbeak. He's being punished for something he didn't do. And I know that you're going to want to know. So it's not just the perspective of you know, this matters more than any fight we've had. It's also to Maddie's great voicemail about hope in the boys that even if they're mad at the messenger, they're going to want to know this thing. And so I want to bless her for having hope in these two boys that are behaving so badly right now and having such wise perspective. What about you, Casper? I want to bless Sirius Black. You know, Sirius is already so isolated. He's so misrepresented. Everyone thinks he's the worst person in the world. And so he is trying to make things right as best he can. He's trying to catch the person who betrayed his best friend. And in doing that, he's just ended up making things worse all over again. And I can imagine, you know, him like sneaking through the boy's bedroom, trying to find this rat, and then suddenly having the fright of his life as Ron sees him and screams, and like having that moment of what do I do? Do I try and stay and explain? No, because then I'll get caught and everything goes wrong. But if I run away, it only makes things worse. And it's just, 
just that situation when you're trying to fix a problem that you're in and you end up only making it worse. I recognize that. And there's just, it's just such an awful feeling, especially when you can't blame anyone but yourself, which isn't quite entirely true for Sirius here, but that's the feeling he's making me think of. So Sirius, I hope things get better for you. And if anyone's in that situation where you feel like you've made it worse by trying, I hope it gets better for you too. How about you, Matt? I would like to bless Hagrid. I spoke already in the in the episode about how I admire Hagrid's approach to the boys and his gentle reproach that they'd be a better friend, Hermione. But there's one moment in that conversation that I just want to draw additional attention to, which is when the boys realize that they had forgotten all about Buckbeak and all about Buckbeak's upcoming case. Hagrid says to them, no, I understand you're busy. You've been practicing Quidditch all the time, right? He, he, in so many cases throughout the series, he kind of looks to Hermione, Ron, and Harry to take care of him. Even asking for their help in preparing the case is one of those instances. But in this moment, he just lets them be 13-year-olds who are allowed to care more about Quidditch than what's on his mind. And that's just a, that's a good grown-up moment for, for Hagrid. And, you know, reminds us why Harry's vision of protection in the last chapter is him crouching behind crouching behind Hagrid because Hagrid really is a such a such a great caretaker, even though he sometimes inappropriately asks for care from these children as well. So a blessing for for Hagrid. Next week we're reading book three, chapter 15, the Quidditch final, through the theme of triumph. And Vanessa will be telling us a story about triumph. Moments in which I was triumphant. It's just gonna be a long summary of all my 30 second recaps that's exactly what i was gonna say that's right just <laughs> so last week we did a 30 second recap and the week before we were doing a 30 second recap yeah five years ago i did a 30 second recap <laughs> this was a not sorry production we are a feminist production company we are executive produced by ariana nettleman and edited and produced by aj yaramas our engineer is Erica Wong, and our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull. We are distributed by Acast. We want to thank Maddie for their blessing this week, and Beth for sending in Maddie's blessing, Laura Glass, Julia Argy, Gabby Iori, Nikki Zoltan, Stephanie Paulsell, everyone who sent in the names of their loved ones, and of course, the Cast Richard Kyle. Thanks, everyone, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for having me. I'm Matt Potts. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm the ghost of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text Past. <laughs> and I'm Casper Ter Kyle. Back, back, back again. And this, and this is, is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Option. No. Okay. <laughs>